0: Hi, and welcome to the Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Jojo Mehta is our guest today Uh, along with the pioneering UK lawyer, the late uh, Paulie Higgins. uh, Jojo co-founded the public campaign Stop Ecocide, as well as the nonprofit Ecological Defense Integrity. Uh, The only NGOs exclusively focusing on the quest to make ecocide an international crime alongside war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity and crimes of aggression. So welcome Jojo.
1: Good to be with you.
0: Well, listen. I want to preface our conversation uh, with a couple of thoughts. You know, spiritual leaders, I- including the Dalai Lama, for example, have spoken out for a long time about the need for humanity to respect and protect the, the, the greater environment. The part of the we're part of that we should respect it for many, many years. And of course, Pope Francis re- recently called ecocide a sin against humanity, defining ecocide as the massive contamination of air, land, and water resources, the large-scale destruction of flora and fauna, and any action capable of producing an ecological disaster or destroying an ecosystem. It, it seems like you've got uh, some pretty good people on your side, and maybe we'll talk a little bit later about the uh, why so many of our spiritual leaders get it while our secular leaders don't seem to be getting, and how bent we are on destroying the environment. Uh, so much so that we need to criminalize their their actions and behaviors. So I wanted you to start by telling us a little bit about what ecocide is a broad broad concept. Uh, Many of our listeners, of course, are not familiar with the law and even less so international law.
1: Absolutely. So uh, the concept of ecocide has been around for a while um, in the sense that uh, destruction of the environment was first identified as ecocide back in 1970 and that was referring to the excessive damage and destruction in the Vietnam War um, by Asian Orange um, but in terms of a kind of broad definition it's about large-scale and systematic destruction of the natural living world and uh, Polly Higgins who I worked with for many years leading uh, uh, up to her death um, she submitted a definition in 2010 to the UN Law Commission and her definition was extensive lost damage and destruction of ecosystems to the extent that peaceful enjoyment by the inhabitants has been or will be severely diminished. So again, in layman's terms, it comes back to this idea of mass damage and destruction to the natural world.
0: Yeah. There was one part of that description that I, or definition rather, that, that, that I didn't quite understand. It says the peaceful enjoyment by the inhabitants. I mean, what does that refer to? Just people or koala bears
1: (laughs) well it it was intended to refer not just to humans Um, so to broaden the concept of inhabitants to include other species um, whether that be uh, plants animals insects and so on because when you're talking about an ecosystem you're not just talking about people and this really gets to the heart of what a law of ecocide is about because um, you know our current legal system is hugely anthropocentric Um, we don't tend to include nature as part of our thinking when it comes to the law Um, and a law of ecocide would actually start to change that in a way that from our perspective actually reflects reality uh, because we are inevitably um, and inextricably linked with the natural world Um, and so everything you know we do everything we eat you know everything depends upon a thriving natural world and so to have this kind of separation that is clearly evident in the sort of first world culture if you want to call it that um is is simply not a reflection of reality um and so we feel that ecocide law is you know A a very fundamental way, if you like, of redressing that balance and actually creating a a sort of cultural steer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you're pushing against a lot of uh, civil law here. I mean, for centuries, we've defined uh, all sorts of uh, legal regimes around. The concept of land ownership, uh, ownership of assets, and and commerce.
1: Absolutely, I mean th- this is an extraordinary um, situation that we we find ourselves in and i mean i believe this actually goes back you know really probably 2000 years or more you know maybe even back to plato where we have a, this incredible kind of dualistic uh, thread that runs through western thinking um that you know that ran through the whole you know the dominance of the catholic church is spirit versus matter which actually sort of transitioned quite smoothly if you like into the kind of reason versus um, you know, human reason versus the material world, um, and so this is something that's very, very deeply embedded in our Western culture, um, and it 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 simply leaves us in a position where it's very difficult for us to actually conceive of nature as something that is that we are part of, as opposed to an object that we can own. So, um, for example, the current civil regulations that deal with the environment don't cover um the kind of fundamental problem of you know, destroying whole ecosystems. They simply kind of they, they, they kind of tinker with exactly how much you're allowed to poison something. And just you know <laughs> Sorry.
0: Okay. Sorry.
1: No, no, it, that's uh, that's that's it's the absurd, of right? Uh, it, I mean, it's abso- it absolutely win- absurd. It is completely absurd. Um, and you can sort of see this very clearly illustrated with criminal law, which is why we focus on criminal law because in our culture, we use criminal law to define the kind of moral boundaries of what's acceptable. So, you know, you're never going to start up a business and have a conversation with your prospective business partners and talk about how you're going to you know build your corporation without killing anybody. I mean, you just don't even have that conversation because you already know that it's completely unacceptable to kill anybody. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen, but you know, that we usually, we call that illegal or we call it the mafia right. but we don't call it legitimate right. business right. now now on the other hand you can go to a government and get a permit for destroying the environment so you know effectively the the destruction of nature is still a long way from being in that same category of the things that it's not okay to damage um right. and, that, and that just gives you a flavor of how deep that disconnect is
0: yeah well i I mean, I have a, so many different questions, and they 're just running out of or, in different orders at this point. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about giving permission to actually pollute is the rollback of the EPA of just a myriad number of uh, environmental laws in the United States at this point. I mean, is that the kind of candidate that you could look for? I mean I know we 've talked about. Bolsonaro, not we, but I mean, people have talked about Bolsonaro and Brazil being, you know, one of the poster childs for ecocide. But I, I just look at what's happening in the United States right now and the rollback of their environment. Is it is this the idea of you're trying to throw up some kind of barrier to protect society b- before these kinds of things happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, the people often ask me, you know, when ecocidal is in place who do you want to see in the dock how is that going to function um, in a sense and and of course you know l- looking at the sheer quantity of you know destructive activity with regard to the environment you know that could be considered really quite overwhelming but the whole idea of it from our perspective is that once you actually designate something as criminal but not even just once you designate it, once you start to see it coming over the horizon, you're actually creating the beginning of a curve towards something different. Because at that point, I mean, let's say we get to the stage which is not necessarily that far off of a state actually proposing an amendment to international law um, and saying we want to add ecocide to the list of atrocity crimes. You know, just the fact that that is being said starts to change the conversation so you, right. you 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 then can look at for example the financiers the insurers the people who are at the beginning of those production chains kind of clocking it and saying to them and they're always the ones they're always the first to clock you know changes in the law in this way and you know saying okay so this might not be here yet But further down the line, this is going to become illegal. So we need to really watch where we're putting our money, what we're underwriting and so on. So you start to create a steer very early on. And from our perspective, that's already starting to happen in the sense that we had a very exciting development last year at the International Criminal Court because um, two sovereign states actually in their official governmental statements called for serious consideration. Of ecocide as a crime, so it's actually taking it onto the kind of state level in a way that hasn't happened in all of those fifty years since the early seventies. So that's a huge step in the step forward.
0: Yeah, which states were those, by the way?
1: <laughs> so that was uh, Vanuatu in the Pacific and the Maldives in the right. Indian Ocean, both yeah. small island states, both very climate vulnerable. Right. Um, and we've been working with Vanuatu for um, uh, three to four years now. Um, and they're very much a leading voice um, yeah. amongst the Pacific states. Yeah, got a big incentive. Um, for there. Them, you know, for, for them, there's every incentive. Exactly, exactly. For them, there's a there's a there's a real incentive to move something like this forward, something that actually sort of directly addresses you know environmental yeah. degradation. Um, yeah. And so you know, we were, you know, we were absolutely delighted that they um, decided to step up in that way. Right. Um, but it really does change change the conversation.
0: Well, let, let's come back to them. But I wanted to ask a follow-up on something you were just saying. Uh, you know, not a lot of uh, people know about the the International Criminal Court, um, it, except that people like Trump and other uh, administrations around the world uh, think it to be simultaneously powerless and a threat to their own sovereign rights, oddly or ironically, at the same time for countries to protect and prosecute their own. I mean, what – what do you say to that?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the ICC was, was put in place um, precisely as a kind of court of last resort. So, you know, effectively, it's where you go when your own country won't prosecute. And when you're dealing with crimes of serious, you know, serious, of serious concern to the whole of humanity, which is how those atrocity crimes uh, governed by the court are described, when you're dealing with those crimes, you're often dealing with people who might be heads of state or close to heads of state in which case their own countries are not actually that likely to prosecute um so it's it's having an overarching um authority that can go beyond that and and um in terms of you know global law the internet is actually at the top so international criminal law kind of trumps every law beneath that if you like um so it's quite a phrase i say.
0: yeah i was gonna <laughs> it say <trumps> trump. <laughs> yeah you
1: know, it, tr- it trumps trump um yeah well we now, would hope yeah, we a hope so. Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting one because you know people say, well, America isn't actually a member state of the ICC, which is correct. I mean, it's actually it was involved in the drafting of the original Rome right. Statute that governs the criminal court, the International Criminal Court, um, but it didn't ratify the treaty, so it's it's not actually an official member. Um, but I think what what one needs to take into consideration with the ICC is um, the moral power of it. Um, And the the way that the crimes that it covers are considered worse, if you like, than any that are just covered by national laws. So, you know, war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, crimes of aggression. You know, these are really serious crimes. So the fact that it's possible to potentially add ecocide to that list gives a whole different Flavor to what you're accusing someone of if they're destroying nature, you're basically saying that if you destroy whole ecosystems, you are effectively just as bad as somebody that is trying to destroy a people. Um, right. And that's, you know, that's quite a big parallel to be making. So that's very powerful. Um, I mean, people would be right to say that, you know, the, the ICC has been viewed as powerless in the sense that it, it's, you know, it hasn't taken a great number of prosecutions. It's, it's only made a handful of convictions. But at the same time, you know, the CEO of, I mean, just to pull an example, like Monsanto or Chevron, or whatever, you know, <laughs> they don't want to be in the same bracket as Hitler, do they? I mean, they don't want to be we in the same that. bracket as yeah. a genocidal maniac
0: right we would hope you know
1: because well apart from anything else apart from anything else the difference is that they are running a company and they're beholden to shareholders so effectively the whole PR aspect comes in with ecocide in a way that it doesn't come in with the other atrocity crimes generally speaking you know a a company will you know can can lose huge value can even go bankrupt if 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 it loses public confidence and And so to be exactly so so there's actually the potential for a lot more power with um a crime of ecocide over corporate behavior um than potentially you know a crime you know a crime of war crimes you know if you've got a genocidal maniac they're probably going to be a genocidal maniac whatever (laughs) you call them um but but with um you know a corporate ceo that's actually not what they're trying to do they're trying to make money and and i think one of the things that we're looking at here is you know is it given that a company has effectively a legal at the currently you know companies have legal obligations first and foremost to their shareholders but they have them to their shareholders within the limits of what they're legitimately allowed to do so for example um polly higgins asked back in 2011, I think it was, the head of one of the banks in the UK, why is it that your bank continues to finance this ecocidal activity? And he just looked just straight in the eye and said, it's not a crime. You know, I mean, that literally you know, it, it sort of spells it out to you, you know, we are allowed to, to do and this, therefore yeah. we continue, right. you know, and, and, and actually there was an, a letter, I mean, a rather a brilliantly written letter, actually, from the head of Siemens in Germany recently. Um, they were, uh, you know, accused, they were given, put under a lot of pressure because of their contribution to um, the infrastructure at the Adani mine, which has just been given the okay in Australia. Right. And, you know, this chat was responding with, you know, all the wonderful things that Siemens are trying to do environmentally well, mean their long-term plans and all of that, but at the same time saying, but our fundamental, you know, we are constrained because our fundamental obligation is to our shareholders, which is exactly the problem that we've been underlining for the last few years with what we've been trying to say is that, you know, CEOs, in a sense, legally have to put their shareholders first, right. but they ha- they have to do that within the constraints of what is, is legally allowed so if right. something's a crime they can't do it and that has to come first which is why you don't hear them talking about how are we going to do this thing without killing anybody
0: <laughs> well you know there's there's things on the horizon like the business Roundtable that is just uh, last august uh decided that the new the, the they made the proclamation that it would be a share a stakeholder as opposed to a shareholder first uh, future for business, but maybe we can come back to that after a, a short break. Here, uh, we're talking with Jojo Maita. She's co-founder of uh, Stop Ecoside, and they're on a quest to make Ecoside an international crime. Uh, at her recommendation, we're going to take a, a little listen to a slice of Javier Rudd, uh, mother, uh, the song. He's a Australian-Canadian singer-songwriter. Oh yeah, yeah, Spree's good luck Mother Earth, Mother Earth Spree's good luck Well, that was a bit of Australian-Canadian singer songwriter Xavier Rudd. Uh, the song was called Mother. Check out his 2015 recordings, Nana. It was done in collaboration with United Nations. He's a Sustainability Tribe champion of cultural understanding and speaking out against racism and intolerance and uh, support for the environment. So we're back with Jojo uh, Mehta, uh, co-founder of Ecocide. Um, uh, Thanks for the recommendation of that. Music's fantastic, by the way. Um, I wanted to ask, it's curious to note there are 10 national jurisdictions, all from the former Soviet Union, Belarus, Ukraine, Armenia, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, with ecocide-like laws, uh, has anyone been prosecuted in these countries? Or do these kind of laws just or do they sit on the books and don't mean anything? Uh,
1: they kind of, I have to say, sadly, it's the latter. They kind of sit on the books. Um, when um, a, a large sort of federal situation, if you like, like the Soviet Union, um, comes apart, often there are kind of residual um, aspects to it that stay in the... In the legislature um that are simply not changed or not removed because nobody actually has the time or the energy to go in and do that um and also i mean several of those countries don't have the most um salubrious reputations in terms of things like corruption and other aspects that mean that perhaps their you know ecocide is not considered the most serious of their worries um which may may also be for very good reason in 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 some cases so um so no they've not been sort of actively employed um and it's interesting because people do ask us sometimes you know what are, are we not? You know, are you not keen to have you know different jurisdictions put their own ecocide laws in place? Right, and of course, right. we would certainly encourage that. Um, but at the same time, the reason that we aim for the International Criminal Court and we aim for the inter, for a crime at the international level is that if you if you get a crime onto the Rome Statute, in other words, at an international level, then all those countries that ratify it will be adopting it in more or less the same wording, which means right. that you end up with a consistency across jurisdictions, which is hugely useful. And of course, there are other reasons for going for the international level. I mean one of the obvious ones is that the biggest polluters um, and you know those who are causing the most damage tend to be multinationals who operate across borders, and so just trying to catch them in one jurisdiction is just not gonna cut the mustard so to speak you know right. you need to be able to operate across tra- you know sort of trans border jurisdictions so there's that um, the other thing which is, is also a very practical thing is that um unlike for example um, you know sort of soft law treaties or other kinds of agreements because um with criminal law you're looking at a situation where every country in the world already has its own criminal law system its own criminal justice system you know when you um create a law that those that system then has to adopt you're tapping into the way to enforce it in every single country because every country has its police every country has its criminal justice system right so you're you're creating a kind of immediate usability um in a way that other other yeah. potential other arenas of law might might not do yeah, sure. um and then and then there is i mean am sorry i'm going to interrupt you is terrible is <laughs> it? okay. you're, you're the interview i shouldn't be doing this but but there is one more point i wanted to make on this and it's actually really important from the political perspective because um and this this has been shown um specifically in france last year where twice the french government considered uh legislating for ecocide and twice it was rejected now it, it's on, on a political level, it's almost not surprising that as individual jurisdictions, countries, you know, states are very wary of taking this on because it's almost like they feel like they might be putting themselves at a, you know, an economic competitive disadvantage um, or so on. Whereas if you move forward at an international level, by definition, in order to get that through, you've got to have a certain level of consensus. A certain number of countries have to agree to move forward on it. So there's a kind of safe, political safety in numbers that comes right. with that as well.
0: Right, right. Well, I was reading that, they, that a mock trial had been done in the UK uh, Supreme Court uh, that demonstrated, apparently, that the ecocide law works. I mean, what's the story there?
1: <laughs> um, this is this is quite remarkable actually um uh polly higgins originally submitted her definition into the un uh, back in 2010 um and it was sort of picked up by the press and she was she was given um you know she was she started to sort of give talks about it and so on and and you know got began to you know sort of build an international profile um and she was giving a talk at a university in london and one of the attendees was um one of the judges of the supreme court i believe um and at that time the uk supreme court had just had a new building built and they had you know live streaming capability and they were wanting to you know try it all out and he was like well this is perfect and you you know and he said so look you know would you like to actually try this out in a real situation you know we can you know we 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 can you know and he basically got authorization to use the supreme court to do this mock trial which was kind of unprecedented in a way um and what was what was remarkable about it was that you know it, it was a You know, in the sense it was a mock trial, but everybody in that courtroom, with the exception of the defendants who were actors, everyone else was in their customary roles. So the guy who prosecuted it was Mike Mansfield QC, who is still, you know, one of the top human rights lawyers in the UK um, and was was absolutely... um, you know, engaged in a, you know the, the, exactly the capacity he would have been had it been an actual trial. So you know, and the same went for the judges, the clerks, and so on. So you know, it was it was a real kind of act as if situation. And what it proved is that the the ecocide Act that um, Polly had drafted. I mean, she'd done it within common law, which is the, the structure that the UK um, and and also I think America uses. Um, and but it was shown to work Um, and these two defendants were you know one one i think one was acquitted the other was convicted um but but it but it basically you know because of um, because you know just as in a normal in a proper trial on particular evidence it was all you know on the basis of the particular evidence that was presented at the time but what it showed is that as a criminal law ecocide works um and so that was you know so it's kind of had its you know it's had a trial run um yeah so that that, that was kind of exciting
0: Well, how would it, I mean, okay, so it works in a mock trial or in practice, so to speak, but maybe in, if you could lay it out really kind of in, in the shortest terms possible, how would it work? How, if the ICC actually went to prosecute a person or a company or a government uh, for ecocide, how would that actually work? And, and let's go right through the end and assume they get uh, convicted
1: okay so um if, if i mean if they did get convicted um they the it's the, the um international criminal court is based in the hague in the holland in, in the netherlands um but it can operate in any country um so and, and it's also you have to bear in mind that it's court of last resort so actually for an ecocide case to get to the international criminal court, you would already have to have attempted to prosecute it probably at a state level um, and and, rather than at an international level. And only if it was not possible to do that, would it go to the international level? Um, But let's say that somebody was convicted and they were given, I don't know, 10 years in jail, for example, that could be in their country of origin or it could be in you know uh, it, it could actually be in any member country in theory um so it it, it there. It, it would depend a little bit on the precise case i mean one of the things that's, that's interesting about um again ecocide in comparison to the other international crimes is that you know uh because it's it's not you know it's less likely to be a head of state for example being prosecuted more likely to be say a ceo of a company. Um, or possibly a minister or, uh, you know, who's issued a permit. It could be something like that. Um, the likelihood is that prosecutions would often take take place in the member states, um, and then um, and so the you know the criminal justice systems of those individual states would be the ones to uh, you know initially deal with that because any ratifying state will have already incorporated the the law into its own uh, penal code. Um, you know, in our ideal world we're going to be looking at a minimum number of prosecutions because once the uh, proposal for an amendment of ecocide is on the table we're going to see you know a big shift in direction because of people seeing it coming so what we don't you know if if law were to come in tomorrow you you'd probably end up with complete chaos because you'd have to you know every everybody's business practices are already ecocidal yeah. um, but if they can see it coming you give you you give effectively you give the corporate world a chance to you know shift its focus and we know that it's capable of doing that we actually know that businesses yeah. are capable of, of you know move changing direction actually much faster than government policy in a lot of cases yeah. um but if you just look back to the Second World War and look at what happened you know with you know when the car factories were suddenly repurposed within a really right. short time to you know this could all be done. And, you know, the big the big um, polluting companies, they know that something like this is coming sooner or later. There's no way that it can't. Yeah. You know, in a sense, what we're doing is we're attempting to accelerate, you know, in a healthy way, what is inevitably going to have to happen. But we don't want to wait until, you know, no,
0: half it's the world destroyed it, yeah. before
1: it comes in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and, and you're so right. It's it's not the how it's the will we know how to do these things. And we also know the incredible creative and innovative capacity of the private sector to change on a dime. You know, people talk about, Oh, it's going to take so long and cost too much to adapt to climate change. You know, general motors just decided the last year to switch a plant in Detroit from, you know, internal combustion engines to electric, all electric in less than a year. So I, 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 I I'm with you on that. Uh, jojo i think people can change quickly and and that if you get the ecocide law passed it will be a watershed moment in, in terms of of pushing people to decide that they too would have the will uh to change and and i think things will change quite quickly after that i'm with you so how can people help you out in your crusade and your mission
1: <laughs> well we, we like to describe ourselves as if you like having almost like the good twin of the corporate lobbyists so you know as as we all know um you know corporations you know sort of lobby tirelessly you know put loads of fun and time and energy into getting the laws in place that are favorable to their industry so effectively what we're doing is kind of flipping that norm and saying actually everybody can help us to take forward you know our advocacy um, which is on behalf of you know the public to actually get a law that we want in place so we have a public facing campaign which is stop ecocide and that's at stopecocide.earth um, and you can sign up there as an earth protector um, and you you you, know, you you gift some funds I mean you know it could be anything from five dollars upwards but you know you're gifting funds to directly support that advocacy work and that's very it's tightly ring-fenced to do exactly that, yeah. um, to take that forward. So that's, that's a, a very obvious way. Um, and, and the second thing, of course, is to spread the word, because a lot of this is about awareness. Most people don't realize that, um, you know, first all, they don't realize that mass destruction of nature is not a crime. Is for You know, for the first thing, because everybody feels it to be criminal. Like, of course, it's criminal that this is happening, but they don't realize that actually it should be criminal. Not only that, but it could be. Not and that they, could, and they criminal. Could
0: actually, criminal.
1: Yeah, it, it, exactly. But, but it actually criminal, in, you know, under the law. And when people realize that at emotional level, um, then that could be a real, you know, light at the end of the tunnel moment. I mean, we see that in people's eyes a lot. You know, once, once they kind of get the achievability of this, they kind of go, oh, my goodness, there really is. There's something that can be done about all this. Um, and so that's a really, you know that could be a real you know moment of inspiration and we're just so up for those moments of inspiration spreading. And and you know, as I think you know your audience is a is a brilliant example, you know, what we're trying to access, we're not trying to convert people who are set dead against this. We are simply trying to get this information in front of people who we know are our natural allies because you know we're not in, co- in competition with any other environmental campaign in any way. If we succeed, every environmental campaign there
0: yeah. It makes so you it know,
1: this is really about just getting yeah. this information in front of people.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's yeah. on one of you, the one of the websites. It's not on the Ecoside website, but on one of your websites, um, it has you have a wonderful presentation, uh, slideshow, and a brief uh, two pager on how to describe your work. I, I urge people to go take a look at that. Um, and I will put on uh, the coordinates on on the website when we uh, publish the. Uh, the broadcast.
1: Fantastic.
0: Okay. Well, we're, we, we've we had the incredible pleasure of talking with uh, Jojo Mehta. She's uh, co-founder of Stop Ecocide and the, on a quest to make ecocide an international crime. You can enjoy Jojo's uh, insights on Twitter at Jojo uh, Meta. M e h uh, t a. There's a underscore between JoJo and metta and at Ecoside Law, uh, also on Twitter, and you can find them uh, at least Ecoside Law on Facebook and Instagram as well. So thank you so much, JoJo. It, it's been uh, in both inspirational and informational.
1: It's been a great pleasure.
0: Okay, thank you. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Jojo and I did. We did so much. We thought we'd add a bonus after the recording track. Take care. Be safe. Oh, I wanted to tell you um, too, is that, you know, uh, I, I I did a podcast with um, Gail Bradbrook, uh last February before. Oh, thank you. That's yes, so
1: brilliant.
0: It was brilliant. And she you know, just... You know,
1: she's an old, you know, she's an old friend of mine. We come from the same town.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I saw her. Yeah, yeah. I saw she was on your board or advisors or whatever it is. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I had gotten a tattoo of the Extinction Rebellion about a year earlier. <laughs> no. You're yes. Serious? And get this. Oh okay. J- just wait. Just wait. Just wait. So we did that, and I had this wonderful conversation with her, and she just like was I, I you know. I oh, she's fabulous. Got, yeah, I almost got into a rowboat and went over because I really just she was wonderful, and um, <laughs> eh, and then when I was looking at your stuff, I saw your Earth Protector thing, right? Yeah um yeah. and where was i i was in vietnam last um i'm gonna say last july or something for the yeah. un and uh i got another tattoo i've been wanting to get for a long long time and it's uh i don't know if you know the shambhala tradition of buddhism but anyways uh,
1: I, I know of it but I yeah don't that's my
0: thing and right. and they have this uh thing called earth warrior an earth protector and so i got that. Uh, tattooed in Tibetan on my arm and underneath it just for my, amazing the, for the people who don't yeah. speak wait a minute for the people who don't speak Tibetan I put earth protector in English underneath that so I really feel you
1: you're totally in our ballpark obviously already I feel
0: part of the tribe right
1: <laughs> yeah totally 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 yeah, well it's so... so funny because I got I actually got a Gail and I got arrested together back in 2017 <laughs> Um which is that you know yeah yeah I mean we were you know we were blockading a local incinerator site and um, you know we, we took a sofa there blocked the gates and had a sofa party and the, uh, the, the police came and arrested us and it was kind of hilarious because I mean where I come from which is it's essentially rural Gloucestershire it's the Cotswolds right, right. It's just, it's, our sleepy little town is now kind of starting to be world famous but um, but yeah and um, <laughs> they took us into the police station and Gail afterwards told me she was absolutely just collapsing in hysterics because when the police <laughs> said to us Do we have any dietary requirements I said to them I said, Well if you've got some local organic cheese that would really sort me out <laughs> And she was like after she's like Jojo, i cannot believe you asked the police station for organic cheese anyway it was hilarious
0: <laughs> that's a good um, one that's a good one i might put that as a as a epilogue to the the, the <laughs> recording